Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Angel Deer is a medicine man and offers his work on sacred land through shamanic healing, energy healing, sound healing, breath work, plant medicine, and workshops and events. The Sanctuary is a community for all those who seek healing transformation, ancient wisdom, and a place to come together to create a new way of living and relating. This is the Sanctuary Podcast, and this is Angel Deer. It is another opportunity for us to restart our days, restart our weeks, reframe and remember as we Welcome today into the circle, Angel Dear. And before we start and have a conversation with Angel, let's just take a moment to just really get into this space. And if you have a practice of welcoming the directions, you have the practice of just sitting in silence, find your way to this circle as we greet this new opportunity and this new friend, Angel. Hello, Angel. How are you? Hello. Good. How are you doing today? I am well. I'm super excited that you have joined our circle today. And our first question, as you know, is we would love for you to share with us your creation story. It's an interesting question. I'm sure you've heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) Um originally you know coming from an island that's in the mediterranean sea called corsica that's where my my ancestors are from and uh i believe that we are you know shaped a lot by our ancestors and the land we come from and definitely for me you know there is always a i guess a tender uh spot in my heart for that place and my connection to that place. And despite I've been, you know, living in the U.S. now for more than 20 years and lived in other countries, lived in many different lands, uh, I feel that this land is still informing me in many ways and informing my stories, informing my co-creation with spirit constantly. And I believe that what brought me to that work 15, 20 years ago was in fact echoes from things I heard, maybe not always consciously from that land. And there was uh, a presence of this desire to be of service to do that uh, work of weaving with spirits and with others um, to co-create together. And I feel that some days strongly than others, but at the moment, I guess maybe because it's the winter time and I get to slow down a little bit, which for me is uh, an exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I definitely... uh, do miss this land and miss the uh, being there. And I can also feel that 
even by being, you know, on the other side of the ocean and far away from it, it's very much alive in every cells of my body. And, and I really believe that most of the things I do are informed by that. And that creation story that's unfolding is informed by something that is invisible and often that I don't perceive, right? And that I don't even know it's co-creating for me in the background. That's beautiful. I understand what you mean. I was born in Mexico and I, it is so alive in me every day being from that place. And as you said, co-creating. Now, I love that you were use the word co-creation, you know, um, recently did a, a podcast, a few podcasts on just like, really, what are we looking at when we're looking at co-creation and biodiversity? And in your own words, when you are speaking of co-creation, what does that mean to you? What does, how does that feel? What does that look like? Well, it's an acknowledgement that I am in relation, right? That uh, whatever I do, every breath I take, every cell in my body, every even chemical processes, not even just my dreams or my thoughts, uh, but even my physical matter is co-created, right? There is a part that is maybe what I call me, but in fact, if I really slow down and look at what I call me, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's weaved and entangled uh, with many other aspects of what we call the greater self, maybe. And there is no possibility of creation without co-creation. You know, it's, uh, it's an illusion, right? Because... Uh, well, not just for my physical life to breathe and to have good water and food. Do I need relations or am I connected to them? But in fact, you know, even my body in this one moment that we are having this conversation is much more than my own cells. In fact, it's much more a colony mm -hmm. <laughs> of bacteria and viruses and so many other things that are informing my body, that are directing it. And even the process of um, thoughts, you know, speech here or reflection, you know, I think it's around less than 10% of our processes are conscious, right? What I will call the, the me or the I or the ego or this awareness, but 90% of it is the subconscious or the unconscious mind, right? So it's a little bit, I realized that one day I was in meditation and thought about my subconscious mind conscious, which is the place of magic, right? The, the place that is nonlinear, that is non-square, uh, that is not rational, but it is very active, right? It is keeping me alive and as we know from modern psychologies, in fact, directing most of my life, but how much it is a, a reflection of this universe where only five to 10% of the matter that we know of is visible. 
and all the matter we've named electrons, atoms, galaxies, you know, this earth, this body is only 10%. And 90% is what we call dark matter, invisible matter, maybe subconscious, right? And it strikes me how, in fact, I am even a reflection of that in my own little microcosm of my own body and my own life, right? And what is that dark matter that we don't know about the universe is maybe even connected to my subconscious. And that's what I mean by co-creation, right? That there is a greater part of me. In fact, the great majority of me is that unconscious, unknown, what we consider magic uh, part of the self. And in fact, when I'm alive and when I'm talking, what's really happening is that process of co-creation with this invisible. And in that invisible, you know, you and I are one. You know, you and I are probably much more entangled and weaved together than we will ever know. I love that imagery of how we are a reflection of dark matter and dark matter being the unknown and the potential and the magic. I haven't really heard someone frame it in that way. So thank you for that beautiful image. Now, as we entangle in this dark matter, recognizing that we are all connected in the unknown, how do you speak to people and what they do know to reach, to stay curious, to not be afraid of the unknown? We live in a Western society that focuses on really living in competition and not co-creation. So how do you, I know you teach and you have academies, how do you teach people to switch, you know, to cross that bridge from the Western world of living things and really accept their dark matter possibility? It's a good question. No, I truly believe that ultimately is uh, being able to return. And I really say return because I believe we are born that way. And children, they do understand that much better than we do as adults very often. <laughs> that we, uh, we do need to return to loving the questions. Mm. Loving the, the space that are unknown for me is loving the questions, right? Once I answer what I think I know, once I, you know, I have a conscious thought, basically I'm already in such a contracted form in limited possibilities, right? If I show you a beautiful leaf of a tree without asking you any question and just asking you to observe the vastness of your experience is infinite, right? It's immense. It's in fact so beyond words that if I ask you to describe the leaf, you will never be able to put the words to really properly describe what you are experiencing just by observation, right? 
by by feeling, by the non-visible. And so I think, you know, every person out there, even people that do not uh, have access to this teaching or practice spirituality, have an experience of that magic, that sense of awe, even the feeling of love. And the world has kind of told us or invited us into that space where it's all about answers. It's all framed. It's all put into equations, right? Into scientific formulas. And despite it can be, you know, quite useful. I mean, we are here talking through the internet and I'm grateful for science for that. I think when it comes to the human realms, when it comes to meaning, to purpose, it doesn't happen in that space. It happens beyond that space. And so we need to be able somehow to acknowledge and to have an experience that the unanswered question, the space of not dying, is a space where we will find meaning and purpose. And that is extremely uncomfortable for the mind. That is, uh, if you think of it, completely irrational. doesn't make much sense that you would know more if you know less. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we can feel it, right? We can, we can have an experience of it. And I think that is a universal experience, right? So it doesn't really matter what you studied and if you believe or not in God, in spirit, in, in any of that. I think we all have that experience. We all carry it. And uh, we have to reclaim it, nurture it back, because I really believe that's where new possibilities for this world, for our communities, for the way we live together is going to emerge from, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to emerge from a new invention, right? From science saying, hey, we found this and we solved this problem, right? Because we, we know, we know solution for all our problems. So obviously the issue is not more science or more inventions, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably more heart, <laughs> more dreams, more unknown. Uh, the space of the weaver, the space of the dreamer, the space of the poet, uh, the wisdom speakers, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to give back value to that. And I think the only way we are going to give back value to it is to have an experience of it. So we truly understand this is not just beautiful talk and speech and nice poetry. In fact, it is the heart of creation. It is the heart of magic. It's the heart of possibilities. And I truly believe, you know, we, we, we all know that somehow deep down somewhere. <laughs> you know, when you speak of the poetry And again, it doesn't feel fluffy like out there. You know, it feels very grounded because I can hear your connection to land. How has land taught you a poetry of possibilities? Hmm. She always saved me, I guess, from my own afflictions and, um, narrow-mindedness, <laughs> mm. uh, the, the pain I caused to myself, right? 
when my mind becomes too tight and too entangled into, you know, my own stories. And somehow she has this capacity to invite me to soften, to open, to be okay in not knowing, to be okay in just being instead of doing, right? to be okay with silence instead of words or talking. And as you probably know, because I'm sure you experienced that, it is in those moments that something emerged, right, from this unknown, from this dark matter, from, like we say, oh, out of nowhere, I thought of that. <laughs> it's really from nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. But that's the mind, right? It's out of nowhere for the mind because it doesn't come from the mind. Mm. And I think the land has this amazing capacity to give that to us. If we allow it, right? if we call for it, and if we nurture relationship, right? I think we also need to be mindful to not transform lands in another product that we consume because we are stressed and we need to go for a weekend in nature, and that's great, right? Uh, it will probably help you distress, but is that proper relationship if it's this one-way street? Or if I'm consuming it, right, for just my own need. Um, and I think for me, you know, I've been taking care of this land I'm on for, you know, almost 15 years now. Because there's one thing she taught me is that, yeah, she gives a lot. Yes, she embodies abundance and she gives me way more than in fact I can even dream of or use or things like that. But there's also... Uh, a greater gift that comes when I am in true service of her, not for myself, not just because I enjoy it, not just because it's beautiful, not just because I can forage, you know, my mushroom and my food uh, or grow my, my veggies, right? But just because we're in relationship, right? It's like with a friend, right? Am I going to nurture or call that person just every time I don't feel good and I feel stressed? Or am I going to also give beyond myself, you know, beyond any immediate rewards just because I care? Mm, beautiful. I'd love to um, play a little bit with just this feeling that I, I have arise, arising as you're talking about this, because there is, as someone who's worked the land and, and works, continues to work the land, there's this amazing lesson of practicality that it has. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's funny because we think that poetry is impractical, you know, that, that these things have to be so, again, you know, unknown that there aren't simple answers. And so I'd love to just kind of explore, like, how has the land taught you that weaving of poetry and practicality? Well, I think speaking of practicality, you know, I think nature in general, you know, is, is ruthless, right? It yeah. doesn't have, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't care for me, right? More than anything else, right? It does its things, right? 
And you can be a lover of nature and go for a beautiful hike somewhere and being eaten by a mountain lion, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> And uh, there's no anger there. Mm -hmm. There is no uh, judgment of you or it's not that he doesn't recognize, you know, what you've done. But literally, there is not maybe that romanticized version of nature that we often have in the West, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And anybody that has done vision quests or, you know, deep nature immersions, know how you know it, it is unforgiving right because it has its own laws mm -hmm. and if we are disconnected from it and i've forgotten how to listen and how to be in a relationship well we won't be part of that system right that system very quickly will uh, take our life you know simple as that um so i think it's for me, it brings me back to, yeah, that notion of practicality. That's how I see it. Right? It's very, very straightforward. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't have ego and it doesn't have a specific agenda towards me, right? Mm -hmm. Not more than the deer or the bird, right? Or the mushroom, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just one element of many on that land. And I think... Yeah, land reminded me of that. But when we slow down, once I think we go beyond just that kind of practical aspect of it and that, there's also in that ferocity, in that unapologetic way of being, a lot of poetry in it, a lot of magic, a lot of stories. In fact, the land, you know, carries all those old stories and of people, of animals, and ancient times. And yeah, she's that broad. That's how I feel it, right? She can be that restless mother. <laughs> <laughs> and she also can be the witch, or the wizard, right? The poet. She can be that, give us that space to, right? But she's never, never one or the other. She's always both all the time, right? So many archetypes and elements dwell in nature and are always constantly alive, right? And I guess as a seeker, as the one that enters that space, we need to be aware of all those aspects, right? We need to build a relationship with all of that, not just one aspect of it that will prevent us, I think, from seeing it as an object or a relationship that is quite unique, right? It's like a person, right? People have different sides, <laughs> facets, right? There's a mystery to everyone, right? Even if you've lived with someone your whole life, you do know that there's a part of them you still don't know, right? There's a, there's a mystery there. And I guess that's what keeps us returning keep us inquiring, keep us deepening that relationship, right? Because it's an infinite pet where we'll never reach the bottom and of understanding of it. I love it. Um, the universality of non-attachment, right? Gives you infinite possibility. And we can see that in the land and in nature. So I'm curious, you know, as a keeper of land that deals with people who have been taught to control 
even their climate, right? Climate controlled areas. You know, how do you speak to a return instead of people, like you said earlier, finding a solution in science? You know, how, how can we start to see that as, again, you know, AI and, and everyone's starting to, you know, explore and play with that? What does that mean to us? And how do we, for me, I feel it's like a fork in the road, right? Of awe. Well, with awe is it's fear inspiring or wonder inspiring. So how do we teach people the non-attachment, the non-controlling of their fear to encapsulate, you know, to control, you know, even, you know, control the plant kingdom, you know, how, how do you inspire people? What are you seeing out there? What are the words that the land is speaking uh, through you for us when it comes to this fork in the road of awe? Yeah, that's an interesting thing to ponder. And I often, you know, question myself on how to do it in the, in the best way, in the way that served the best, you know, First, I think we have to recognize that uh, we can't teach everyone and not everybody wants to learn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So I never forced uh, the teaching on someone that just, um, yeah, is not open that to yet. I think there's a internal process for every human being to come to those places to be potentially at some point in their life called by the return, either it is through very fun personal suffering, right? Something happened and then we realize we don't have all the solutions or the world doesn't answer the big question. And then we start searching for people and places that might have different answers or maybe different questions. (laughs) And um, that's the first step, I think. You know, there needs to be such a deep desire to understand that and to meet it because the teachings are not easy, right? It's easy to think that it's just another type of school or university, right? I think that's often my difficulty, you know, with students is that they understand this is not school or university 2.0, right? Because many people come to animism, shamanism, spirituality, you know, with kind of that outlook. And I could not because that's the way we learn to learn. And it's such a different way that we're going to be taught, right? Because it's very much through self-revelation more than any teachers, right? I'm just providing, setting up the scene. But really the teachings, they are self-taught or self-revealed, right? Spirit is going to speak through us. The tree is going to speak the land, right? But I think the difficulty, especially in the world we are living in, is that people don't have that connection to nature anymore in the same way that um, people have on ancestral lands, right, when they're still living that way. And our culture, or we don't really have a culture, our society is so far away because everything has been materialized. It's a materialistic, right, society and science. That very often the way we come to it is very colonized, right? It's very scientific. 
you know, it's very rational. And so it takes a lot of slowing down, a lot of encounter, deep, deep commitment and calling to make this happen. And I truly believe that unless people are at a point in their life where they have acknowledged somehow, somewhere internally that the system they are in is not going to answer most of their big questions or resolve their relationships. There's no book out there they can buy that is going to fix it. <laughs> then they come to it. I think then there is enough internal turmoil and suffering and therefore a deeper calling that there is a potential for transformation and new learning. You're listening to The Sanctuary Podcast with Angel Deer. While you're listening, browse the website at www.thesanctuaryheal.com. That's very true. Not everyone wants to learn. Not everyone seeks. You know, today as I was uh, <laughs> cleaning, you know, chick uh, up after my little baby chicks that I have to integrate to the, my other chickens, you know, I, I find a lot of depth of, of knowledge and, 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 you know, wonder when I'm dealing with a lot of manure. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it gives me a lot of thought, but <laughs> there was this thought as I was cleaning, you know, and, and I was like this, this consciousness of, you know, how, society is speeding up in this fear of being left behind, you know, of like not having the fastest gadgets and not having all this thing. And it, it just, of the consciousness, not, you know, it wasn't mine. I knew it wasn't mine. And I was like, I'm okay if I'm left behind, you know, um, from this, <laughs> this runway that people are on. But I think there's this feeling of, you know, one of the feelings that, that we're afraid of is abandonment. And that feeling of being left behind from a society as it speeds towards whatever it is, its continued colonization of things. How do we speak to that wound? How do we tell people that it's okay if you don't follow the speedway? It's okay if you stay back. It's okay if you're left behind. <laughs> It's tricky, you know, because I think we are, you know, we have some hardcore wiring in our design um, for survival and for belonging, right? So things that we look at all costs, right? I was reflecting the other day and telling a friend that was, you know, is very angry about people that are, you know, uh, accumulating a lot of stuff, right? money, cars, but that doesn't matter, right? Just greed in general, or let's say over accumulation of stuff. And I was reflecting that it comes from this very ancient wiring of survival, right? Because the more I have food and the more I have a shelter and the more I have things, right? The more chance I have to survive in case of, you know, bad weather or apocalypse or whatever you see it, right? And so, you know, a lot of people accumulate money, for example, without understanding that it comes from, you know, something that is um, hardwired in us, that we all wants to feel that we are safe enough to provide for ourselves, for our family members, right? 
And you could say that, you know, that's probably healthy, right? That we have this uh, feeling that we need to be able to survive and take care of each other's, right? But obviously, you know, today it has taken just a disproportionate uh, size that it creates problems for others and it is not, you know, any more healthy uh, to do that. So you pair that with our need for belonging, all right? That goes from being in social connection with others, but also very often that is very weaved and intertwined into our unresolved wounds of, you know, not being seen, not being heard, not being held. And so we are desperate, you know, for connection. And I think when you pair that, people therefore, you know, very often stay in systems, either family or cultural or society or jobs that are not answering, you know, their purpose, that are not making them truly happy. But those ancient wiring of belonging and survival are so strong that people are not going to change or quit, right? And so they are trapped in this race, right, of more, of the newest thing or of all of that, right? And I don't think people can really get out of this fast train unless they really heal and see what is it that they're really running away from. <laughs> what is, will happen if you were to slow down? If you were not distracted the whole day by X, Y, and Z. And most people don't have the tool to even sit with whatever is there, right? I think that's also the reality because we live in a society that carries a lot of trauma, still creating a lot of it too on top of it. <laughs> And uh, it's not easy to feel our bodies. And if we can't feel them, well, there's the next escape, the next movie, the next phone, the next, you know, gadget that's going to allow you to keep going, right? Avoiding. So I don't even know where we start because it's so embedded at so many level of our society that is going to take a while that people, you know, have those tools and feel that not only it is safe and possible, but in fact, there is greater meaning for their life and greater joy and happiness that is possible and in a different way. Yes, you know, what, what um, kind of playing here with what direction, to, I kind of want to go with two directions because... I feel that in part, you know, one of the things that we learn or that we need to learn as a society is how to grieve, mm -hmm. you know, because we haven't learned how to do that, how to let go. And, um, and it kind of brings me back to, you know, the whole letting go and left behind to, you know, we have now this term that we have embraced in Western modernity of sustainability and we are putting the stamp of sustainability on saying we are in good relation, you know, to land. But, you know, I've spoken to a lot of elders and they hate the word, you know, because, 
they don't believe that sustainability goes into co-creation, doesn't go into reciprocity, that it just is about maintaining the status quo. So how, in your own words, can we, you know, go beyond this sustaining, as you said, this, you know, taking care of you and yours and really go into relationship and reciprocity? Well, first, I think, you know, the biggest thing is we need to really acknowledge the depth of sickness in the system. <laughs> like, really being able to see it. You know, as long as we consider the system that has some faults and we come out, can save it or fix it, you know, sustainability is a good example of that, right? Let's just make a greener product. <laughs> Let's just make, you know, something that has less impact somehow on the environment. But we're not changing our behavior and the way we relate to each other and to land. And we're not really assessing what really is the problem behind all that then, you know, we're going to be in a world that is, you know, a complete desert with only green products everywhere. <laughs> but just more product, right? Same product, you know? I think, you know, that often makes me laugh because, you know, you we buy products to get good conscience that's maybe a little bit better for the environment, but it's still highly problematic on the way it's made, right? Even if you think of, you know, organic veggies at the supermarket, you know, nobody talks about slave labors, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> Most of those veggies are grown by people that are slaves, modern slaves, right? Yep. They underpaid, they far from their family, very often they have absolutely no recognition in the system no social status and places, no health insurance, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, all this goes on, right? And they're in, walking in terrible conditions for their bodies so we can enjoy a greener product, right? Is that better than a product that's industrially made and collected by a machine? I don't know, to be honest, you know? I, I don't really know about that. I'm not really sure. Um, once we start to see the depth of that illness that this industrial world has put on all of us, you know, nobody is immune to it. And the consequence it has, not just on lands or indigenous people or animals or waterways, but even our own self, right? Some people maybe like don't really care about any of that, but they might care about them, maybe their body, I don't know, their health. <laughs> Once we start seeing the impact it has on, on that, we realize that we need to rebuild from the ground up. And it doesn't mean, you know, going back to cave age and living, you know, with nothing 
but it definitely means that the way we are seeing modernity, uh, the way we are rushing humanity towards this wall that we all know we are going, if we keep going that way, none of that is going to save us, right? It doesn't matter how sustainable the new car is or the new energy productions, if we still have the same minds and the same heart with the same wound, we are going to keep creating suffering. Now, so that's really the problem. And I don't think it's very often addressed, right? It's like the war on drugs, right? We don't really talk about why people consume that amount of drug, why people are in so much pain, right? It's fascinating that at the age where pretty much everybody is on the internet and on social, on Facebook, right? There's, I don't know, like 2 billion people on Facebook that has never been that many suicide in the US alone of people just because they are completely alone, right? So what, we need a better Facebook? <laughs> We need, we need an AI Facebook. We need a, a fake, I don't know, person AI that we can talk to. Do you really truly believe? Are we that sick? Are we that lost that we believe that that's going to be the solution? You know, and sadly, you know, many people believe that because I think they haven't realized yet, especially if you are quite privileged today, you might not feel the pain yet as much as others, that this is going nowhere, <laughs> you know, but, you know, people that slow down and a lot of, you know, critical thinker in our world and obviously native people and many people in this world knows that this is a definition of insanity, right? Keep doing, keep doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome. Yeah. You know, something that strikes me in your conversation, it's something that I speak a lot to when I speak about um, cacao, you know, really the cost of cacao and the slave labor and cacao and chocolate, but uh -huh. uh, is the expendability of, of human life, like how humans, right, in the equation of being green or in our equation of having the society that we want to have are expendable. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if part of that expendability, right, is we are so removed that our body is land. You know, we're so removed that we forget that we are land. You know, when you see land, you're like, okay, I need to do something you know, or it will do something to me to a certain yeah. degree. And so I'm wondering and curious if, if you see, you know, that disconnect, you know, is that part of that disconnect and is part of our way to return back to, you know, a, a, way, a way of living in relationship to acknowledge the land inside of us? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the heart of a problem here, I think. You know, it's the heart of it. And, you know, I'm going to give you a little story here, an example. You know, we, we do, you know, a lot of retreats and gathering on the land, you know, Vision Quest and Sweat Lodge and other uh, gatherings. 
And it's always, I mean, it's more and more popular those days. <laughs> people want to experience those ways. And we bring elders and people love to meet elders and spend time with them. But when we, and we always, you know, got more people and we can even accommodate, right? When we do the things. But when we say, hey, we have a, a day of taking care of the land because there is a spring cleaning to be done on the land or there was a flood and we need to rebuild the path or a bridge or there is planting to be done. It's almost impossible to get people to come. You know, my experience is very often that if there is not a direct benefit for people, like, for example, personal healing, they don't see that land caretaking as something essential. It's very hard for people to understand that when you are emptying your manure from your girls, from your chickens, <laughs> that in fact you're learning something there, right? You know, I love my chicken and I love to go sit with them and there's not a day where I don't sit with them where I don't learn something, right? Just being with them, right? But if I just pass by the chicken coop and because I'm coming to an event and I find them cute and, you know, and I pick up a few eggs and then I leave, what kind of relationship do I already have? Zero, right? None. It's entertainment, right? And I think... The problem with lands, you know, our lands and our national parks and reserves and the things we, the way we've separated land or good land or state parks and things from other lands is that we made it an object. We made it an animal in a cage, in a zoo, right? And I forget that, in fact, the land that I'm sitting on, even if I live in the city, is as precious and as sacred and deserve my care and carry the same power, the same beauty potentially for me, the same wisdom. And the reason is, I believe, is that because we are very desensitized. That's how you say it, I guess. I don't know. We lost the sensitivity to our own bodies. Because once you do that work for long enough, at some point you do start feeling in your own bodies what's going on in the land, right? And that's a blessing and a burden. I know for me it is, right? It, it requires great gymnastic and work to not be taken by the overwhelmingly pain and distress that is there, right? But that's my commitment. As I agree to interrelationship with land, as I agree to interrelationship with my body, I agree to meet every part of it with the same open heart, with the same willingness, with the same curiosity. So I need to be able to, you know, Come back, coming back to what you were sharing earlier, to grieve, to feel the pain, to feel the rage, to feel powerless sometimes, hopeless sometimes, right? I need to be able to feel all those feelings because if not, my actions are going to be disconnected from the roots of the problem. 
and I'm going to speak from a very narrow-minded place of ego and human-centered solutions, which is also another problem when it comes to land. It's very human-centered, right? What do we do, state park and national parks, and why do we, you know, rebuild the lands or rewild the lands? Very often it's for us, right? <laughs> the conversation about indigenous people is very often completely absent, right, inexistent. And the conversation about wildlife sometimes is a little bit present, but it's kind of for our enjoyment, right, the beauty of it. And that transfer into, you know, the way we have those, the biggest land in this country are dead lands. They are the loans that we take care of in our gardens, right? Green loans, which are complete deserts and a complete, I mean, it's insanity, right? It makes no sense on the nature perspective, but aesthetically, it's pleasing because it's in order, right? It's clean. There's nothing that doesn't belong, right? And that's very much how we relate with, with ourselves and with each other. We're very afraid of the wild when it comes to the wild inside ourselves and therefore out there. We're very afraid of what's different, voices that we don't understand because we're afraid of the voices we don't understand in ourselves. So there's no return to land without returning to our somatic sensibility, sensations. There is no capacity to heal the land that will last if we don't heal our bodies and the connection to each other, right? The pain that you carry, you know, I need to take care of it and be interested in it as much and sometimes I believe even a little bit more than my own. Mm -hmm. mm. Beautiful. As we find ourselves close to the close of this circle, I hope to be able to speak to you more, Angel, in other circles again here and in other places. But I'd love for you to share with everyone listening around the world, um, how to support your land, how to support, how can they join in? What programs do you have? What cleaning projects do you have that you need help? <laughs> yeah. Well, first we, you know, we, we have, you know, animals and bees and, you know, and a lot of, you know, we have a women's garden with medicinal herbs. We grow food. We, probably have replanted over 600 or 700 native trees and plants and bushes and berries. Um, so first, the biggest thing, you know, very often we need help. Well, we need people to just come even for a day, right? Uh, and you might not experience a sweat lodge or a vision quest. You might just, you know, gather sticks and stones and chop woods, right? <laughs> so I think that's the, for us, that's, you know, one thing that, is very undervaluated by people, I think, is that those experiences of you, just you being on the land and collecting branches and fixing the bird houses, it might be a moment when you do that and the dark matter inside of you starts speaking something you have never heard before. <laughs> so don't see that as separated from your money healing on your own transformation. In fact, I think it's essential 
And then, you know, we have obviously a lot of gatherings uh, in person and online that people can find on our, you know, calendars. And we try to support a lot of elders, uh, a lot of grandmothers and some grandfathers that we believe, you know, uh, carry essential wisdom for the future, for this time we are in, this great turning, this time of transformation. And so any support that people can provide, you know, either by coming to our events or sending donations, you know, 100% of what we get here is going back to the land, right? It's going back to the people of the land. So, yeah, whatever people feel called to, um, there's always a, a place for you here. And uh, we always definitely need uh, need some hands and some hearts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, I hope one day to come visit and I'm... I would love that, yeah. Yeah, I love... I'll do anything. That's <laughs> 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 how you get to know the land, right? I'm putting in charge of chickens. <laughs> no, you are chickens, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they are so much fun. <laughs> they are. Oh, my God, so much. So much going on with chickens. We have a pea hen, too, and we just put a mirror up for her, and she is just loving her self-reflection, you know? <laughs> I love them. They're so, they're so amazing. <laughs> well, Angel, thank you so much for taking time to meet us here in the circle, for inspiring our entanglement of dark matter, knowing that as we sit with the unknown, we can sit with the universality of it, of all, all of our feelings, and that there's space for us there. So thank you, my friend, and many blessings to you and your people and your land and all your work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and everybody that is uh, listening uh, to this talk. And yeah, thank you for the work you do too. I know you're very essential in this uh, great work of transformation. So I honor you in this. I honor you and I'm glad that we are walking together. You've been listening to The Sanctuary Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, we're a source of talks about spirituality, personal transformation, energy healing, shamanism, and earth-based practices. For more, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. On the website, you can find out about our events, our retreats, healing offering, our spiritual blog, and you can also register for the newsletter. Again, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. Till next time, this is The Sanctuary Podcast, and Angel Deer signing off.